For nearly two decades, Emmanuel Anyamosigwe's obsession with diversity has won the hearts and minds of filmmakers and audiences alike. His blueprint for how minorities should be represented has stood the test of time, long before the penny dropped for other institutions far and wide that diversity truly matters. This year, as Buff marks its 15th anniversary, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Never has diversity been more relevant than in 2020. And as long as the issue remains in the public eye, Emmanuel has ensured that for creatives everywhere, the British Urban Film Festival is a broad church that welcomes all creeds and all colors, comfortable in its own skin and bold in its approach to storytelling and showcasing film as seen through the social and cultural lens. From BFM to Buckingham Palace, it's been quite a journey for the man who literally bet the house on making Buff the success that it is today. Appreciate the patience, guys. Very sorry about that. No problem, Ken. Good, good to see you. Kenneth, let me introduce you to the crew here. So we have Darlington Anya Musigwe from Nigeria. Darlington, meet Kenneth. Nice to meet you, Darlington. Hello, Kenneth. Nice to meet you too. How are you? Good, good. Is it are these other filmmakers or is this just the panel? They are indeed. These are all the films that have been selected in the festival that are the feature film selections. Awesome. awesome. And, and they'll be showing on the Apple TV app as part of this year's festival, which is a first awesome. for a UK festival. So also joining us from the UK, we have Tony Amore, director of What is the Giro. Say hello to Darlington Hi. and Kenneth. Hi, Ken. Hi, Darlington. How you doing? How you doing, sir? Everybody, you. Love, this is nice uh, just a quick thing. I was gonna say, everybody, this is Terrence as well. He's the producer and a screenwriter from City as well. He, you know, he always follows me to the Q and A's and whatnot. Hello. Um, Great to join us, Terrence. Hi. <laughs> so joining us from the UK also, we have James Weber, director of Sorority. Hi. Hello, James. Hey, guys. Uh, and hey, we, also, we also have two actors from the film Palindrome, Sarah Swain and Jazzy B. Say hello, guys. 
Hello. It's nice to meet you both. No, nice oh. to meet you. Lovely. So we've got a nice full house here. Right. So James, I'm going to come to you in a second, but um, I, I think what I'll do is I'll obviously I'll get the disclosure out of the way. You may notice um, a similar surname on screen. Uh, Darlington Anya Masigwe, um is one of my cousins, no less. Oh. Ah. So it's a very small world when you have uh, um, someone who's part of the family actually making a feature film, which is now actually in the film festival, which I can assure you got in on merit. So let me just, just that yeah, ask that question actually. as well. <laughs> Let, let's go to Kenneth. <laughs> Kenneth, uh, talk, talk to me well, about talk to me about City and the journey from America to Bath. Well, um. City is something me and Terrence have been working on for almost seven years now. You know, a couple of years writing the screenplay, a couple of years raising money and trying to get it into production, and then a year or so in post. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure how much Terrence knew about it, but I'd always followed you guys over there in Britain. You know, I always try to see um just what other black filmmakers are doing across the pond, so to speak. So I always wanted to see what they were doing over there, as well as Nigeria as well. So it's dope to see somebody in the Zoom from there as well. But uh, yeah, I know that you know I started seeing films like uh, shows like Top Boy and stuff like that popping up over the UK. So I was like, they do have a market over there. You know, I listen to a lot of grime and stuff like that too. So I was like, this is a, uh, you know, we just won the hip hop film festival in America. So I thought that this would just, you know, be a great fit and a chance to just network with other black filmmakers across the water. Great. And Terrence, how long has your relationship been with Ken as filmmakers? Um, at this point, lifelong. Uh, we grew yeah. up, uh, you know, all the way through high school. Uh, moved to New York City at the same time and um, always just kept the same interests and all that. So uh, when the movie stuff uh, kind of got together, we just kind of kept the ball rolling and then it kind of manifested into what it is today. James, um, we're talking about actors and relationships that obviously the directors have with actors. And I know with you, um, Sam Kittens has been very much part of your film journey. Talk to me about how that first started and why He's been your go-to guy ever since. Yeah, um, so I'd worked with Sam uh, on a short film I made, geez, I guess about eight years ago now, um, called Driftwood, which was a uh, buff. Um, yeah, and I think it, he, he'd just come out of, uh, of drama school. Um, he didn't even, I think this was his first IMDb credit. And yeah, we just clicked. Like he's a really, really uh, great actor, really nice person. And, you know, when you work with people like that, you must feel like you want to hang on to that relationship and sort of develop new roles together and new stories. And um, that's definitely been the case with Sam. He's kind of like my my little brother now. Um, and uh, yeah, having him in the in my feature sorority was sort of a, a no brainer. Um, mm -hmm. And it was been really fantastic to watch his career grow and you know see other films that he's been in and other projects has been really uh you know rewarding to watch that as well so it's really it's really important yeah it's really important developing those kind of relationships and not only do you have sam in the film you also have emily haig and kate dickey um yeah it's in their own right i mean and sophie kennedy clark as well who's so many yeah yeah, instead of getting everyone together, um, I was saying to Tony about casting director. For you, yeah. were you kind of hands-on in the casting process, or did you leave it to the pro, as it were? Um, 
I've, I've worked with casting directors before and uh, I, you know, I enjoy working with them. But on this film, because I had written it, because um, I knew Kate Dickey and I knew uh, Sophie. Sophie's one of the producers of the film as well. Um, and obviously Sam Gittins. Um, it, we, yeah, we didn't sort of need it so much. I think we, we had access to the kind of, I wrote it for a lot of actors in mind. So we just went to them with the part and um, we only did auditions really for one role. Um, and uh, that was the Emily Haig role. Um, yeah, so it just didn't feel, you know, that, that it was 100% needed for this. I, I would on other films, but yeah, with this one, it, I, I don't know, it, it felt right kind of doing it ourselves. Kenneth, you've got a relatively young cast in City. W was that deliberate? Uh, yeah, if anything, um, yeah, we want the films really based around uh, characters that are supposed to be like, you know, in some of their later formative years, you know, 18 through maybe 21, where life is, you know, very confusing. You have college, you just left high school, you're kind of thrust into adulthood really fast and having to live with the decisions that you make. So a lot of the cast members, when we first met them, yeah, they were pretty much 21, 22 years old. Like they were, you know, still fresh out of, you know, some had just finished college, some are, they were kind of similar to characters or they were at like a crossroad of trying to figure out what they wanted to do in life. So it really translated on film. It was easy for them to mimic stuff because they were, you know, it was happening to them in real life as well. Now, th th there's an old saying in that you should never work with kids and animals. Was, was it that bad? <laughs> this uh, this is actually the second film I've worked with the kid. Uh, my initial graduate thesis, uh, Zen, my main actor, he was 11. So that was a uh, that was a challenge. But at the same time, he was a uh, he was very precocious. So he was a sponge. So he really, really wanted to learn. But I've seen uh, a couple other people work with child talent that you know they're a little they're a little tough to work with, or they have parents that are like really tough managers. But Zen, you know, his his parents were really cool about it. He came on. He gave a great performance. I think the only caveat was between takes he just wanted to play iphone games like just to keep himself situated while we were like fixing lights but uh i haven't worked with an animal yet but kids haven't been that bad sarah and jazzy as actors um what do you do in your downtime in between takes what, what were you guys up to um i sometimes you're going over the lines because you need to obviously get them stuck in your heads <laughs> other time i'm distracting everybody who when they're actually trying to do their work and stuff. <laughs> That would definitely be annoying the sound I, and stuff yeah <laughs> i'm quite i'm quite the same like um i actually use music a lot while i'm on set so i tend to it depends what i'm doing so if it's something that i don't feel needs i need to sort of like get into much of a mindset of and i can just sort of like go into that mindset quite quickly i'll I'll, you know, look over my lines, I'll chat, I'll, you know, be a social little butterfly. Um, but otherwise I will, I will be completely unsociable if I've got sort of like a scene where I'm like, there's a lot going on in my mind, there's a lot going on in my psyche, in my body. So I'll put my earphones in and I will just go off basically. Uh, there was a couple of scenes during Palindrome where I actually said to one of the runners, I was all like, when you're ready for me, I'm going to be in such and such room. Can you come and get me? Um, and I just took myself away because that's just part of my process. Like I need to, I need to gather. I need to get into that kind of space, whether it be pleasant or not. So that's what I tend to do in the downtimes during, you know, when lightings are getting changed and stuff like that. So it really does depend 
what I'm about to do, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, Tony, let me come to you about the plot line for your film, because I, I remember when you submitted the film and I <laughs> the synopsis, the first thing I was thinking was, how am I supposed to edit it just in case the press pick it up and they want yeah. to sell this film in a line? Um, so the stage is yours, my friend. Sell us the short version of your plot line and obviously give us really the meat behind the, the story and what it's about. Well, you have, you have 10 runaways um, that disappear. Uh, they go to this club and they disappear. And the, the, the person who organised this, this whole event, uh, this mysterious woman, she's being interrogated by an authority figure. And during the period of them disappearing, something happened. We don't know what that is yet uh, when, you're, when you're discovering the film. But as you're going into the details of the film, uh, they talk about all the 10 characters that go missing. And as you go into the end, we talk about the characters like um, exposition, and then you go into a flashback scene. And then the flashback scene is the last five to 10 minutes before these guys disappear. And always during this period of flashback, that's where the music kicks in. And with the music, um, it was music that we did in my, in my group with, with Sub and, uh, and the group DigiHero. And through it, you have two moods. You have the red mood and you have the blue mood. And they're supposed to contrast in different emotions from uh, ambition to satisfaction. So these guys that all went missing have all got stuff going on, big stuff going on in their lives. And during this last 10 minute, they go through their journey. And it's kind of like through the red, through the blue, they reach an epiphany of what they need to do. And at that moment, something happens and then we reset. Then we talk about the next character. And then as you go on, you learn more about why they were there. Um, and I don't want to ruin it because it's kind of like a twist film, but, <laughs> but you, you, you discover more about all these characters, music's heavily involved. And during these flashback scenes, because I wanted to write something that was possible for me to make with no budget. Um, so during those scenes, there is no dialogue, there's just the music and text messaging. And the real meat of the dialogue is between the interrogation scenes between Marissa and Alex uh, playing uh, the detective Ms. Wheelie and and um, Tia. So that, that's where the, the main discussions happen with it. And it's a very musical, um, psychological journey. It's quite out there in terms of, uh, it makes you, put you in a flight, uh, in a dream state. Uh, and then you kind of discover more things go on. So it's interesting because it was done, we shot it, what, 2016? Um, so quite a while ago, post took a while, <laughs> took a long time, we had so many issues with post. Uh, that's the trickiest thing that we had to deal with, uh, was the effects and making sure <laughs> our systems could handle what we we're trying to do. Um, but it, it seems to relate to a lot to what's going on this year. If you think about what's going on this year, a uh, lot was going on, massive changes happen in people's lives. And it, and it, it almost before the film, it felt like mm, this, these characters, the detective seems a bit dystopian. It's not quite how the real world is. It even seems a bit more like the real world is right now. So it's, it's quite a good take 
on that. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's a trip, basically. And what expectations did you have for the film when you started submitting it to festivals? And then ultimately, when you heard that Buffett selected the film, what were your overriding emotions? Um, I was, I was elated. I was real, I was over the moon, to be honest. If I was honest, this was the main film. This was the main festival that I hoped it would be um, um, accepted for because it just seemed to fit. Everything seemed to just click. And I thought, if we get into this one, then I'd be really happy. Um, the expectation was, um, if we get in as a feature with a no budget film, then we can all congratulate ourselves to saying that we've, we've done a real good job, especially with the limited experience we have within the crew, and limited time, limited money, limited anything. So whatever we got from it would be a massive plus. And, and the fact that lots of people are going to get to see it and lots of people are going to see the complexity of the story um, from, from the poems that, that link all together between the names of the characters that all link together and, and the twist, which is quite a psychological twist about how we could see ourselves in life, how we could treat each other. It's great. It's amazing. I, I, just, uh, I was very happy, let's put it that way. You, you checked in the post, Tony. Thank you. Ken, let me come to you with City. Um, obviously, you talked a lot about how you've been keeping tracks of what's happening here in the UK. Um, when you heard that City got selected into the festival, what were your overriding kind of uh, emotions and what were your expectations when you were sending the film City? Because obviously, I've seen the film. I, the first time I saw it, I was kind of taken aback by the acting performances. I thought they were very strong indeed. And the story held really well together and I was really kind of following it to the end. And there's a lot of films like City that I, would, that I wouldn't give the time of day. So fair play to you for kind of taking me on that journey with you. Uh, we were really excited when we got into Buff. And it's uh, funny you say like uh, certain people might not have gave the film the kind of, you know, the time of day, because it's not exactly something new, but it's just something we haven't seen in a very long time. Like, you know, uh, urban cinema in America, like the, the hood film, so to speak, is like, a, it's a big thing. Like, you know, we've had Boys in the Hood, Minister Society, et cetera, et cetera. So me and Terry really just wanted to add something like that for the new generation, just to try to give them a, a little bit of perspective of how those old movies used to go. So the fact that we got in over there was just, uh, you know, completely elated, couldn't believe it. And uh, just, again, just excited to have a chance to show this kind of film in front of different Black filmmakers all over the world, as opposed to just, you know, regular American audiences. James, as I said earlier, uh, we, I have a relationship with you going back seven years now with regards to the festival, and this is now your third film that's got into the festival. Yeah. Um, again, what were your overriding emotions, and how important is Buff to you in terms of your film career? It's hugely important. Buff's um, been hugely supportive of me uh, as a filmmaker. Um, it's and and especially like with with. Um, sorority, my feature in this year's, it kind of made sense to go to Buff because you premiered the the short all those years ago as well. Um, so it's a nice, it's kind of like a homecoming. It's, uh, you know, we obviously sent out to a bunch of festivals, but Buff is 
the 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 one that you know I really did want the film to play at because uh, you know it's kind of special. Um, you know, got a, I've personally had a lot of opportunities come my way from sort of having films at Buff and um, you know instrumental in getting Driftwood on Channel Four um, a few years ago, and and that was. Um, fantastic uh and really unexpected um so yeah i'm really thrilled that uh yeah driftwood uh sorry sorority uh can be part of this year's event and obviously sarah and uh, jazzy as actors um have you have you come across buff um throughout your film journey or what has marcus said to you about palindrome being in the festival um so i'm not gonna lie i was completely before going into drama school i was quite savvy to film festivals and theater and to pretty much anything within the industry i just knew that i wanted to when i went and saw films i wanted to be on the screen i wanted to i would get jealous um so sort of going through drama school and then hearing about film festivals and stuff like i'd heard about buff and i'd heard about other sort of international film festivals but i never thought i'd sort of like come out of drama school, be given the opportunities that I did with Palindrome. And then it's getting picked up by so many festivals, including Buff. And it's just, to me, it's quite mind blowing that it's just getting so much hype. And I feel like it definitely deserves it. Like Marcus has put his heart and soul into this film. And he's just, to me, it's just a genius filmmaker. Um, and it's, it's really exciting for me, like, I'm just, I'm chuffed, to be honest, to be a part of the palindrome as a piece of art, not just as a film, but just a, just a big picture. I can't think of what, I'm trying to think of a really good metaphor and I can't, but it's, <laughs> um, it's really exciting. I'm just, I'm chuffed to be a part of it. I'm chuffed that it's getting picked up. I'm chuffed that it's been, seen by so many filmmakers because I feel like it deserves it it deserves to be seen so yeah uh, Terence are you still with us yes I am excellent what is it like to work with Ken honestly um <laughs> I mean it's it, it's awesome um we we have a a chemistry that just works so well because we kind of learned about film together as well like we started studying and watching uh the, the same exact movies uh but we found our interests are different where i like to write and i don't really get everything else and and kenny uh being on the director side has a a wonderful scope for film so uh the way the way we work is i write the scripts and he directs so if there is any like struggles it's when um, I'll go away, I'll write something, I'll spend a lot of time writing something, and then I'll give it to him, and he'll give me a thousand reasons why it's wrong. <laughs> and at first, it like completely crushes me, but that's exactly what I need him to do, because he kind of acts as like a filter for all, because I have a thousand ideas, but only one of them really works. And so he lets me know, you know, which ones don't and which one do. And so even though it can kind of be a tug of war sometimes, the end product is always something that that's better for it. Mm -hmm. um, especially for the fact too, that we're essentially fans of the same types of movies and the same styles of movie. So it really helps us kind of define our own brand and our own image in terms of the kind of movies we want to make. 
Um, talk to me, Terence, about the fact that we're now in this post-COVID environment. Uh, and as a film festival, um, we don't have the opportunity to actually meet one another physically. You know, obviously, I'm having this session with you, but normally you'd be sitting alongside me in a cinema and we'd be having a massive Q&A about your films. But now that we are where we are, um, what are the pluses? What are the minuses? Um, do you think this is here to stay? Or do you appreciate what's happening? Um, I, I think you just got to take everything as it is. You know, um, we're all dealing with something unprecedented right now. Nobody knows exactly, you know, what is the right or wrong thing to do, but we'll find whichever way we have to, to, to capitalize, which is exactly what we're doing now. Um, yeah, we're not able to meet in person and I'm sure, you know, things could feel, you know, a little better, a little more realistic to actually meet somebody and work with somebody in person. But, you know, the internet is a, a broad place. And I feel like at the same time, coming over in this way could possibly help us meet or come across or, or reach uh, people that might not have been at the, fest the festival physically to see the movie screened in a theater. But now they could watch it, you know, on a link from their home and they could watch it as many times. So um, you do miss out on some of the experience, especially uh, this is the first film we've, we've ever made. So this would have been our first time ever going to a festival, ever having Q and A's. And we were looking forward to that the whole time. So it's a major blow to not do that. But at the same time, I think we've, you know, found a way to kind of take all the best from that and really maximize the, the reach and the potential of a bad situation. Kenneth, do you concur? Uh, yeah, more or less. The only, uh, like you said, the only negative is just the aspect of actually meeting people, the opportunity to network, et cetera, et cetera. But aside from that, you know, still have had a good opportunity to meet a lot of different filmmakers just via Zoom chats and stuff like that. I've also appreciated the uh, the innovativeness that certain festivals have done to try to give, you know, artists a platform with, you know, even through the pandemic. Uh, we had one festival that did a lot of like live interactive screenings where everybody watched the movie at the exact same time and that was a fun experience you know it, it, we got to have everybody there there was a chat box everybody literally got to chime in as the movie was playing along me and Terry and they're giving like you know little BT behind the scenes notes about certain scenes that people might not have known so you know as many cons as there are there's still a lot of pros in the situation as well. Tony do, do you miss not representing your film in person or how, how do you embrace this environment that we're in? Yeah, it's a strange one. You, it's, as as the, as um, as Terence and Ken were saying, there are there are advantages of this situation, which is strange. But there's massive disadvantages for for me to to physically go to a cinema and see the film with you guys uh, doing a Q and a, a session. That would have been amazing. I'm not I'm not denying that. But um, as you're saying it makes you adapt to different situations and you actually come up with different ideas that might actually um, give you more exposure than you would have had previously. Like, um, like, like I'm saying, you know, having this on Apple TV and having it viewed in different places and different countries and stuff, probably more, maybe more people get to see certain things. You don't have that physical communication with people but you, you you can do the zoom sessions and you can do other things and um yeah i think that's the best way to take the situation there are definite disadvantages but if you're creative if you've got your focus open there's plenty of opportunities there to do 
things that you didn't think you were able to do before. So it's about having that focus. James, I know we had a conversation a couple of weeks back where you were talking to me about the experiences you've had at other festivals. I mean, in the context of what's been said so far, what 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 are your thoughts? Um, I guess from from my film's perspective, I mean, we did sort of make it to be seen on a on a cinema screen. So part of me is absolutely gutted, but yeah. um, but I, I think it's it's correct that there are other opportunities as well, and um, it's sort of it's never been easier to sort of share your film with other people. Um, I mean, if this worldwide event had happened 10, 15 years ago, we, we wouldn't have had the avenues to be able to share our, our, our films with the world. So in, in that way, we're, we're very lucky. Um, you know, it's, I think there's a lot of great festivals, you know, like Bath and a few others that, that are really leaping into the virtual, you know, screenings um, and, and doing a good job of it. Um, I think there's probably a few festivals as well who, you know, who, who are doing less of a good job, which, you know, is to be expected. There's a lot of film festivals out there and, you know, it's um, it's probably easier just to dump a bunch of films online and just say, well, there you go, watch them, um, when there's a little bit more to it, especially yeah. when, you know, you've worked on, you know, like Sorority worked on it for, you know, the best part of, well, many years. I was going to say uh, the time that it took to make the film, but really the process is much longer than that because you're thinking about it and you're writing, you know, your ideas down, working on the script and talking to people. So um, it's really great that, uh, you know, Buff's doing something quite quite different um, as well, uh, sort of standing out from from sort of the usual, was it like Vimeo Direct and things like that, that some other festivals have done, which, which is pretty good, but um, the Apple TV thing is great. Um, yeah, and, you know, uh, like my fellow filmmaker said, you know, probably wouldn't have had that opportunity otherwise. Um, so in a weird way, it's, you know, we're, we're taking good things out of a, a big negative. And whilst you have the stage, James, tell people about Sorority and what they have to look forward to. Yeah, so um, Sorority is is what I call a, a slice of life film. Um, it's a few days in the life of uh, two sisters who are incredibly close, um, but are ultimately probably going to go in opposite directions in life. And the film's really about them overcoming uh, a really tragic family past and looking forward to you know a brighter future. Um, yeah, and it's it's a pretty personal film. Um, I, I think it's it's something I've always wanted to explore, um, kind of the relationship between um, women. I guess um, I grew up in a when I was when I was a kid. I grew up in a household full of women. I lived with at one point my mother, my grandmother, and my great grandmother, and it was such an interesting dynamic um, between these you know, funny, complicated, you know, occasionally they were as annoying as anything, but really great people, you know, completely well-rounded. And, and I think that always really stayed with me and sort of wanted to, to capture that on film. Um, yeah, but I'm really excited to, uh, you know, for people to be able to see it. And what's your relationship like with your mother-in-law? 
my mother-in-law um pretty good yeah it's it, worryingly good um actually that sounds weird um <laughs> oh, <doesn't it? laughs> yeah, she's great because she's um she comes from uh she's retired now but she comes from like a, a book publishing background so she she's used to like editing uh you know stories and used to work with some really amazing authors so she'll like read my scripts and can absolutely um go to town on them with the best kind of constructive criticism um i have to print them out and give them to her so it's a little bit like being at school and sort of giving in a report and she gets out her red pen and does like all these squiggles that ah. i'm not entirely sure what they mean but yeah you know it's pretty exciting to get it back and you've got like all these weird kind of red hieroglyphics all over your script um but you, you know she's come up with some good ideas that i've probably taken the credit for over the years so if anything, I'm leeching off of her talent. Um, I was going to say, is she, is she on the payroll? Um, she probably should be. Um, yeah, but um, but she's great. Um, she's she's uh, yeah, per perfect mother-in-law. There you yeah. go. It exists. Fantastic. I've got a great mother-in-law if she's watching. Yeah, <laughs> very just that she's quite internet savvy, so she might well be watching. So she's great. <laughs> Kenneth, tell people about City. Ah, uh, it's a quick way to give it. City is a caper. It is a coming of age film. It's kind of uh, yeah, it's a good combination of both. But sprinkled in, there's a lot of little uh, insights into city life. We also have you know a little back dialogue on a lot of the police issues that are going on in America that I'm pretty sure everybody's seen worldwide. Uh, our lead detective had an issue uh, with a partner involving like a, a kid in an unfortunate incident. But um, yeah, City's, so uh, me and Terry are just very big on a really entertaining film. You know, Tony Scott, Michael Bay, people who like kind of get to blow stuff up. We had a lot of intentions of actually flipping a real car in our car accident, but in our car crash, but we weren't able to do it. But um. Yeah, people are gonna have an exciting time. Hopefully they laugh. Hopefully there's a few moments that make them tear up. And uh, I don't wanna give too many of the plot lines, but yeah, three friends stumble upon some stuff that's not theirs and uh, all hell just breaks loose. So let's sit in a tiny little nutshell. Jazzy B, sell, sell palindrome. Oh, wow. Well, palindrome is a story about a man named Fred who wakes up and is a bit lost uh, and goes on a journey. And also sub subsequently also about a lady named Anna Richter, who he is trying to find out about. I don't want to give it away anymore myself. <laughs> Excellent. Well, our time is nearly up, ladies and gentlemen. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you all for being part of this Filmmaker Zoom. Um, just before we wrap it up completely, um, obviously if people want to know where to find you online on social media, um, your social media accounts and all of that. What we're doing with the Zoom sessions is, whilst we have all this great technology and we have all this social bonding digitally, if you have got your mobile phones on, I know with some of you that might not be possible, could you possibly display your Twitter handles or IG handles on screen so that if you put it oh, up like that, that, like that? Uh. You know, uh, yeah, fortunately, I'm unfortunately, on I'm phone. on my phone, but uh, I'll get a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that, that. I mean, obviously, uh -huh. you can tell us out loud what your social handles are, but if you really want to go the extra mile and really kind of show off your social media savviness, that would be great. 
That uh, is mine if anybody can make it out. What? Close up. What I'm going to do is write oh, yeah. down other people's if that's cool, and then I'll add Get you. Add there you go. Sarah, make sure you DM me that. DM you. Yeah, I will. Can, can, can well, people tell me? Because I got. How's that? How's that? Is it, is it sort of flipped? Oh, yeah. no. Uh, well, that doesn't work. If yours is too bright, uh, would have had to have written it backwards. That is very bright. James, I think I just about saw yours. No, I think it's. Yeah, so the website for the film and all the music within the film, poems, and everything about the stuff that we're doing is on whatisdigihero.com, and that's D I G I H I R O. Dot com. Um, all the media, social media handles are at digihero1. My, my uh, handle is 89coop, C-O-O-P, 89coop, uh, where you'll find uh, mostly posts about city and my life with my lovely girlfriend and our two adoring cats. Sarah, where can we find you online? Uh, I am on Instagram. If you type in Sarah Swain, I should, I should jump out in theory. Uh, I believe it's Sarah, it's Sarah actor. I don't know. Uh, I don't know it off by heart. But if you type in Sarah Swain into IMDb or Sarah Swain into Instagram, I should pop up. Sure. And you have, have you got the palindrome film details? Uh, so we've got a hashtag going on, which is uh, hashtag palindrome. Is but, but yeah, but ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for being part of this filmmaker Zoom session. Um, obviously, as we've been talking about, you can see all these great films on the Apple TV app. That's Sorority, directed by James Webber. What is Diggy Hero by Tony Amore. City by Ken Lott. Palindrome by Marcus Flemings. Um, unfortunately, we weren't, weren't able to get in touch with Darlington, but his film, Cold Feet, which is a romantic drama feature film. You can also watch that on the Listen, you know why? You know my husband is. It's a really, really great romantic drama. It's fresh out of Nollywood and it's been out on the scene for just under a year now, but doing great things, not just in Africa, but internationally as well. So do look out for Cold Feet on the Apple TV app as well. But Sarah, Kenneth, Terence, Jazzy, Tony, James, thank you very much indeed. Have a happy Christmas if I don't speak to you soon. Thank and you very much. Merry Christmas. 2021. Everybody else. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Yeah. Bye.